Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Of course, read us over at Indie Cornrows as well. Uh, really psyched today to be joined by my good friend and, of course, friend of the program, Lazarus Jackson. And you know what that means? We are playing the Pistons. Uh, so, you know, we, we've cr- – I mean, this is our third time convening. This is going to be the last time of the season. Um, maybe we'll do some stuff close to the draft too, I'm sure. Uh, Lazarus, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Mark. It's always good to talk to you. I agree, man. I always look forward to potting with you. Um, you know, I'd say not much has changed since last time we talked in terms of what's going on with the two teams that we're covering. But, I mean, stuff has changed. And there's a lot that I want to bounce back and forth on. Um, I think the biggest thing that um, I'd like to hit on, what is your opinion as an outsider? Um, on uh, on the Pacers now with Miles Turner being out uh, indefinitely, potentially for the whole season. Um, you know, what's your view of them right now from uh, from the outside looking in? I am not surprised that they are continuing to compete yeah. most nights. Uh, I wonder if that is in their best interest, but I also wonder if I'm kind of jaded, just like as a you know as a Pistons fan, as a guy who's watched this team lose a bunch of games uh, this season prior seasons obviously um and you know the knowledge that like it's it's a little in late in the season to be tanking for uh for a lottery spot but um it it's like i don't know how useful i don't know i don't know how utility like what's the utility of uh, a play in appearance for a pacers team that like in all likelihood like won't have miles turner won't have tj warren um it's like maybe you'll maybe Demo will be back by then. It's like I you know what's what's the what's the value in you know playing a couple tough games against like Charlotte or something and and then maybe maybe winning those maybe losing those and then going on to get crushed by Brooklyn right like I I don't know what what the value in that is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you just summed up like <laughs> the last three weeks of podcasting for me and Tom. Um, no, it's such a it's such a fine line because I was talking about this with uh, with the with Blake Murphy from over at the Athletic. Uh, gosh, what was this? Two days ago, he wrote a really great article about um, how Paul Watson and Yuta Watanabe are um, getting some run with the with the Raptors, and uh, Yuta just got the guaranteed deal. And um, it's uh, it, it's it's hard, and I think a lot of fans kind of discount this or just don't even think about it, like as much as an organization maybe wants a team to not win. And I don't think that's where, where the Pacers are coming from. Um, But like the guys on the team are still going out there to win. Like, I mean, Blake put it best in the article. Like there is one player not named Pascal Siakamoji and an OB Fred Van Vliet or Malachi Flynn on that Raptors roster that knows where they're going to be next year. Like it's not quite the same with the Pacers group because there's a lot of guys who are um, you know, locked up for i hate session locked up sounds so bad uh they're like you know they have long-term deals um, right but for the most part i mean they're they're not going out there to tank these guys don't want to tank they don't they, they want to win i can't imagine how frustrating 
um, this season has been for them. You know, I haven't gotten to talk to them. We don't get to be in the locker room. Like I'd imagine it's incredibly frustrating uh, to be where they're at. You know, they can't really climb together with any momentum. Um, and every time they do some kind of setback happens, like, of course, miles getting injured. And um, yeah, I agree though. Like it's hard. I, I really think that it would be in the best interest for the team to maybe let Washington or Chicago slide up and, and then fall down into a, a higher lottery pick. But um, I, I think the team's just like too good to do that. And they're not going to, um, to do anything that makes it so they can, they can do that. Um, that's just my read on it, but you know, you never know any crazy stuff can happen in the last 16 games as we're well aware, but um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting line. Yeah. And I mean, like, and there's organic ways to do it, right? Like I've seen much more Ed- Edmund Sumner across the timeline. And it's been than I, glorious. It's been, it's been great. It's like, but also like, I'm not sure like if, Play, if you end up playing him, you know, 28 minutes a night, I'm not sure how conducive that is to like actually winning. Right. We, we talked a little bit about Aaron holiday the last time we were on this podcast. And I was surprised that Aaron holiday was like out of the rotation entirely. Like now that's less of the case. Mm-hmm. It was like, if you, again, if you're turning the things over to him organically for 28 minutes a night, like I don't know how, you know, I don't know how many games you're going to win down the stretch of a season. Right. Um, the, who's the guy you just signed? Uh, not, uh, O'Shea, uh, O'Shea, O'Shea Brissett. Yeah, yeah. Like he's pretty good. Like I, I like his energy and I like the the effort he plays with and the intensity he plays with. But again, like he's not the most you know skilled big man I've ever seen in my entire life either. But again, you're, you're playing if you're if you're just organically playing these guys to see what you have in them, it's likely that you're going to lose games, but not impossible. And so it, in that feels much better than throwing out. I don't know, like uh, if you're throwing out Cassius Stanley into the starting lineup or something like that, where you where you know it's going to result in a loss versus like the the open question, and that's like that's a little bit of what the Pistons have been doing. Um, the Pistons have been kind of switching their veterans on and off depending on the matchup like, against uh, any team they feel like they have a chance of winning the the game at. They they pull the vets and let the young kids run out there and see what happens. And uh, any game they feel pretty confident that they're going to lose, they just like let the vets play, and it is what it is. So, it, like the 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 organic tank is uh, can definitely occur in Indianapolis. Yeah, definitely, and it, I mean it has to an extent. Like it's different because Karras and Malcolm have both been playing pretty much every game, um, and obviously, you know, <laughs> there is not a center on the roster currently except the Amita Brima just got signed today. Uh, Brian Bowen was released. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, Gogo, in, in the game against the Spurs, they started with Gogo Bataze, was the only center on the roster who was healthy. Jakar Sampson was the backup. Uh, Goga hurts his ankle about 10 minutes in, and then he doesn't come back in the second quarter. So then it's Jakar is the only five, and then he uh, he tries to start Malice at the Palace round two. Um, but with him and Rudy Gay, and luckily that didn't go. I mean, it, obviously, you know, not I'm dramatizing a little bit. I'm glad yeah, it didn't yeah, go the yeah. way that it did. Um, I actually do think Jakar gives Rudy probably a pretty good run for his money. But um, <laughs> regardless, like you go from that to Malcolm Brogdon is guarding Yaka Pirtle to close the game. Like it, it is just, um, it's just it's stark. Like it's uh, it's just a very, very different feeling um, when you're this far into a season compared to what the Pacers have been at the last five or six years. Um, but I mean, you're still seeing like Ed is getting a ton of opportunity to grow. Goga before his injury was 
Um, like he's been doing really nice stuff, getting a consistent run. Um, and it's kind of nice to look back at this. Cause like when we were talking, you know, like Ed and Gogo were like just starting to get into the rotation, but still just barely. And um, it's been nice to see them get that consistent run throughout. It's actually been a little bit more uh, satisfying from an, an observer or like analyst standpoint, because, you know, there was that huge stretch of like 20 games where the team really wasn't playing that well, but they're playing like an eight and a half man rotation. And then you're just like, you know, well, what are we doing here? And so it feels good to feel like there's at least like some semblance of a direction with it, you know? Yeah. And like the, the future, the future is still bright, right? Like miles Turner and DeMontis Simonis are not going to be hurt forever. Uh, when next season starts, presumably both those guys will be fully healthy. You can go from there. Next season, TJ Warren will presumably be fully healthy. Like that is a, a huge missing ingredient for this Pacers team that, uh, you know, I don't think has been talked about enough, like nationally, considering like the, the lift he gave them in the bubble and the lift he in profile he got from the bubble. And then his absence has just been like, you know, no one, no one's really thought about it, but like that, that's a big deal for a, a Pacers team that, you know, had expectations going into the season. And then, um, you know, you, you get more, you get a fully off, uh, fully healthy, like, you know, Brogdon and uh, Lavert, like you mentioned, and you figure out what to do with TJ McConnell. And it's like this team, it's not a bad team, right? It's just like, this has been a very difficult, very injury filled year which is not normal, but is also kind of kind of not that unexpected mm-hmm. given, given COVID, you know, given the shortened off season, you know, given the compressed schedule, you know, given everything is it, like, this is a, it's fine if this is a lost season, right? Like this, this is the, the Toronto Raptors argument as well, right? Like, you know, you, you move your, you move your entire basketball operations to Florida for a year you have to figure out to like, you know, move your entire life for eight months. And it's like, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that the team is struggling like relative to expectation. Right. And and so it, yeah, it's, it's not a surprise that like the Pacers are where they at. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. And I think uh, it's important to look at it that way, but not everybody, not, not everybody does. So fortunately, you know, we can bring some levity to it. Uh, yeah. My first big Detroit question. Uh, how have you felt about the Josh Jackson experience in April? He's been uh He's been he's been really good. Uh, I, like it's it's weird to say Josh Jackson has been really good because he's been so up and down throughout his career, um, and I mean he's had a really good consistent stretch this month. Like last night, he's hitting off the dribble threes. Um, I've been impressed with him, man. Uh, and he's been uh, like like you mentioned with with Detroit kind of resting guys on and off. Like Jeremy Grant's only played like half the games in April uh, because of that, and he's 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 done a lot in a hot in a bigger role than a lot more than i think i i anticipated yeah he's been he's been he's been uneven even like game to game yeah but i think the i think the knowledge that like he's a big part of what they're going to do uh regardless for the next like you know 14 15 games however many games they have left uh in the season it might even be fewer than that um but just like knowing that he's going to get bit like even if if Jeremy plays, he's still like the secondary creator out there in the starting lineup. Jeremy doesn't play. He's basically, you know, one of two guys in the starting lineup who can create their own looks. And so you're, you're asking him to, you know, create with the ball in his hands. You're asking him like come off. Um, it's like come off DHOs, come off high screens and just like go and attack the rim. And it's something he can do. It's 
the his role is big, but he plays like a relatively simplified role in the offense, right? They don't ask him to do a ton. They ask him to attack downhill and they ask him to like make spot up shots. And he can do both of those things. It's when he gets to the part where he's like dribbling eight times and then yeah. trying to spin and get back to his right hand. Like that, that that's kind of iffy. But as long as you keep things simple around Josh, I think he can be a really effective and really dynamic player. Um, you know, it was a little bit worrying when uh, Hamadou Diallo got traded to the Pistons. It's like, well, you know, these guys are functionally very similar, right? You know, uh, wing size, you know, two guards who aren't really known for their shooting, but are more known for their length and athleticism. Like you can play these guys together, but you know, is there room for only one of those guys on the roster? And so far, like Josh has really, really uh, outplayed Hamadou. Mm-hmm. And that's been, I think, an interesting thing to, to consider with the Pistons moving forward. But yeah, like Josh has been, has been really good for this Pistons team as in a time when like they needed somebody to step up and him and him and Frank Jackson have really been those guys. Well, yeah, that's been exciting too. James wrote a really great story on on Frank. I don't know if you got a chance to read. I think it was today it came out yeah. or, or last night, but he's been a surprise too. Like I, I don't know. I think I, I I'm looking at writing something about this because I've been a little bit frustrated with I don't know how in tune you are with draft Twitter, but a lot of people in draft Twitter, you know, kind of I don't want to say dismissive of Isaiah Stewart, uh, but in a way, like I know it was a surprise that he went 16th. Um, to a lot of people and it was met with some criticism for sure uh, but he's just been good like I think that the, you know the, the best way that it got put to me I remember I was speaking to an assistant coach um, in the G League not too long ago and he was like you know at, at some point it just becomes good players are good players and it's important to have them and you know wh- whether or not a guy fits a quote-unquote archetype or whatever like I mean, Isaiah Stewart is a winning player for Detroit right now, and it looks like he's going to be for a while. He's the youngest player on the team. I think he, he is younger than Killian, right? Uh, I'm not. It's close. Sure I know they were close, both yeah. 19 when the season started, but like regardless, yeah. like, um, like this this Detroit team, like we've talked about so many times, like it's just it's different. There, you can see why everybody's on the roster. Like Saban Lee, I wish that he would shoot threes. But watching him get downhill, like he had this beautiful dump off yesterday. He got all the way downhill. I think it was in the right at the end of the first quarter. Uh, he had a dump off to, to beef stew that was just fantastic. I was like, that's like, I can see it. Like I can see him like the downhill rim pressure guard. He kind of reminds me a lot of Ish Smith with like some more athletic pop. But um, I mean, you can, you just understand why each guy is on the roster and they do have a future with the team moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been guilty myself of trying to figure out like uh of placing uh, Isaiah Stewart like into a particular archetype that's in my head that's not particularly valuable and then him outperforming my expectations and forcing me to you know reevaluate what the Pistons like do and don't need right uh, I was I was uh I didn't know I didn't know a lot about Stewart you know coming into this year I hadn't really scouted him that much and the Pistons you know only had the one pick up until the time that they didn't uh and so you know we didn't expect much of him going into the season but it really has been a joy to watch him just like play so hard and whoop like so much ass in in uh night in and night out he's just like taking it to guys i'm remembering a play against uh oklahoma city where like moses brown is like five inches taller than him Mm -hmm. but they have like a similar wingspan and so 
Like Isaiah Stewart's like blocking the shot out of Moses's hand before it even like gets out of his hand. And you're, and you're just like, he's five inches shorter. Like, how is he doing this? And it's because he's Moses Brown is skinny and he's sticking his body into his body and just like making plays. And you, you, it's hard not to love a guy like that. You know, you go back to the Cleveland game, right? Jared Allen. um, I, I learned that Jared Allen was coming back from injury, but you know, Jared Allen, uh, you know, highly touted first round pick. Cavs are going to apparently commit $100 million to him this offseason. We'll see if that happens. But, uh, you know, Jared Allen's out there um, being the prototypical, you know, rim running, shot blocking, not doing much else, big man. And Isaiah Stewart is just like boxing him out of the way and finishing lobs over him and just like putting up a double double on this guy. And it's like, you, <laughs> at some point, it's, uh, one, one commentator on Detroit Bad Boys put it best. He's like, at some point, um, if you are putting an arbitrary uh, ceiling on uh, Isaiah Stewart, like that's that's on you, not him. And it's like, yeah, I got to I got to take a step back and be like this guy from what we've seen so far out of this guy, like uh, the the limit on what he's capable of uh, isn't readily apparent right now. And we got to stop boxing him in to just because he's six, eight and doesn't jump out of the gym. Yeah, definitely. And. I mean, I think the one thing I would ask, though, how do you feel about him not shooting threes as much anymore? Because before, like last time we talked, he was taking like two or three a game for for like a nice week stretch, and now he's taken four in this month, five in this month, I should say. Um, that's uh, uh, it's not like it's a bad thing, but I don't know what does that like. How, how have you felt about that? Has it felt it's, like kind of in rhythm or like just? Yeah, it's noticeable. It's not. Uh, it's, sometimes it's it feels like he. Um, isn't ready to take them, which is fine. Like uh, you, you don't want him taking bad shots, uh, even like this early in his career, you don't want him taking bad shots just to take them. Um, there are some times where I wish like he's looking to make plays inside the arc. Like he's, you know, he's holding the ball at the top of the arc, you know, while guys are moving around in the motion offense, he's waiting for cutters. He's waiting for DHO opportunities. And there are some times where I wish he would just like take that step back and shoot and make defenses account for that one more thing. Um, but yeah, I, I feel comfortable in his stroke, right? I feel comfortable that whenever he does decide to shoot them, that, uh, they'll go in at a pretty good clip. And so I'm not like mad. He's not taking more threes. I just, uh, I occasionally wish he took some more, but I'm not like concerned about it at all because I, the thing that would concern me is, uh, if the shooting wasn't as far along already as he's seen, right? Like he, he looks comfortable out there when he decides to take them right and so if he if he looked uncomfortable but was chucking a bunch just to chuck a bunch like that wouldn't necessarily make me feel great so it's like if he's if he's just doing his thing in the flow of the offense and like occasionally that means he splashes a three like that's great okay yeah no i would totally agree with that too like and he just says he's, he's been so productive and it doesn't feel like he forces anything um, he reminds me a lot of like it's again different different players, but it reminds me a lot of when Miles Turner first came out. Like he had that shooting stroke, didn't shoot particularly well at Texas, but like you knew, okay, he can face up, he can take shots, and he really didn't take any threes his first year. But then his second year is when he kind of exploded in that, and third year even more. And you know, it, he's a super young, so it's hard to remember how young he is until you actually like check and like, holy crap, this guy's like just out of high school pretty much. Yeah, and he, he doesn't look young either. Right? Exactly. Like he's, yeah. he's super cut, and like he he's got the hair and everything, and so he's got a little bit of a baby face, but like he doesn't look like a nineteen year old. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the best way to put it. 
Um, so speaking of the other young guys on the team, I mean, Killian has been back. Uh, we did not get to see him play against Indiana. Uh, we're going to get to see him play tomorrow. Uh, what have you thought of Killian so far? Uh, it, since he's come back, obviously he'd played before then, but now he's getting more of an, an, an extended run since, uh, since being back. Yeah, he's been, he's been a lot better since he's been back. Um, just he's looked more Wait, more you mean confident. we can't call a guy a bust after the, like six games played? I know, I know it's crazy, but crazy. like, yeah, it does. It, it, uh, you know, it doesn't take guys. It takes guys more than seven games to figure out how to play in the NBA. Wild, I know. Um, but yeah, he he looks more confident. He looks more. He looks more sure of himself. Um, we've saw. We've seen uh, a lot of the the passing chops that made him uh, that like you know put him at the top of near the top of the the point guard class in last year's draft. Um, he, he's able to do just like a, a lot of like very difficult passes we've seen well we've seen like the progression is there we've seen him um we've seen him do the thing where it's like okay i'm going to take two dribbles the defense is going to shift this way i'm going to kick it out to frank jackson he's going to hit an open three like simple stuff it's like okay i then we've seen the more complex stuff right i'm gonna i'm gonna get into a pick and roll i'm gonna snake the pick and roll I'm going to uh, like, I'm going to, I'm going to hesitate and, you know, get the, keep the big uh, engaged or in no man's land. And then I'm going to toss a lot to Isaiah Stewart for a dunk. Right. And then we've seen like the crazy stuff we against, uh, forget who it was, it was against, but we, we saw him throw a like 60 foot uh, double bounce outlet pass to Sadiq Bay in transition for that a layup. Was pretty beautiful. And it's just like, it's like, okay, that that's what he's about. And then after the game, you know, the, the beat guys obviously like ask him like, Hey, like, you know, what were you thinking when you threw that pass? And is like, or uh, one of the guys I asked, like, how do you feel about throwing like such risky passes? And he's like, I didn't think that pass was risky. It's like, I don't throw risky passes. I thought I could make the pass. So I did. And it's just like, okay. It's like, th- this, this is a completely different kid than he was than uh, we, the one we saw uh, earlier this season. He's ready. Um, and so it's, it's been a real joy to, to watch him develop. Um, He's, he's able to take advantage of guys with his size. He was really – the Cleveland had to take Darius Garland off of him because uh, he was uh, so easy, uh, he was so able to exploit the fact that he's three inches taller than Garland around the rim. They put a Coro on him, actually, mm-hmm. um, and let Josh Jackson, like, beat them down the stretch of the Cleveland game, which was, which was interesting. But, yeah, he's just like – he's uh, – we're, we're starting to see glimpses of why he was the number seven overall pick. And that's all we can hope for at, at this stage of his career. Yeah, definitely. I, I've really been impressed watching him recently. Like the, like you mentioned, snaking pick and rolls. He loves doing that. Um, his ability to just uh, kind of control the floor, court map, and and you know get where he wants to go without getting hindered is pretty damn impressive. He's really good at using the screen and rescreening too. Um, what have you thought though about? I know this is like getting really granular, so I apologize anyway. But I really wanted to ask you this: like, how have you felt about him and his use of screens? Because he really, like, I I've in watching the last couple of games, like, unless he has a really like noticeable mismatch, um, like he really does not attack anybody one on one. He uses a pretty much screener screener bus. It feels like. Yeah, that. And that's like something that was a little bit of a concern coming in, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not an amazing plus plus athlete. And so you, you kind of wonder like how he would operate in isolation. And he uses a lot of like change of pace and hesitation to, to get guys off balance. And, that, and that's how he makes his attacks. Um, I think 
I like I'm I'm not super concerned with it. I didn't expect him to be like this amazing isolation score coming in at 19 years old. I think that's something that will come with time. Um, and and honestly, like for now, I think the thing that's more important is that he continue to do the court mapping stuff. I think um, figuring out how to like diagnose and uh, like what the remedies for NBA defenses are, are more important than his ability to like break down his own guy, right? Like you can't, you can't practice well, it's, it's harder to practice like against NBA defenses in the offseason. It's much easier to practice like dribble combinations and like I, how you're going to get your own shot in isolation in the offseason. And so like for now, it's not a huge concern of mine. But like long term, it's like, yeah, it would be nice if he was able to beat his guy off the dribble with a lot of consistency. I mean, like and that's, you know that's something I'm hoping he can like take from like a Malcolm Brogdon, right? Like Malcolm Brogdon was also not the guy who was like really beating guys one-on-one when he came into the league. And that's something that like, as the years have gone on, he's been able to add it to his career. It's like, as a bigger dude, who's like, not again, like the most gifted athlete. It's like, I, I'm, but he's still able to do that. And that's something I'm ho- I hope Killian can emulate in time. Yeah, definitely. And the defense has been impressive too, for a rookie. Like he, uh, he's definitely active. He has a plus wingspan and he knows how to use it. And, um, I don't know. I, I'm really, I'm really excited about him. And I think it's just a good case study of saying, Hey, you know, this guy's 19. Let's, you know, maybe ease up. We don't have to, we don't have to have takes or ideas on whether or not somebody is or isn't a bust right away. But uh, regardless, exciting yeah. to watch. I, mean, I, I will say he's pretty thoroughly outplayed Tyrese Halliburton in their matchup. And that, that felt pretty good. Oh, I bet. And he is, I mean, to, to be fair, Tyrese has kind of struggled recently, but uh, I mean, King's going to King, but they, they've been that that team is so weird. I know this is not even talking about the Kings, but like the Kings, they, they just go on. I think they had an eight or nine game winning streak and then they've lost seven or eight in a row now. And that's seems like their whole season. I have no idea what to make of them. Um, it's it's real hard to be consistent when you're that bad on defense. Yeah, that's, that's all a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so what what questions do you have about the Pacers? Uh, I guess I, I want to know more about the the guy you just signed. The guy, well, I want to know more about uh, I want to know more about the guy you just signed because you had to cut Brian Bowen to do it, and Brian Bowen I remember was was a guy who had like a very uh, was very highly touted as a recruit, you know, one and done type of situation, and I always had kind of like kept my eye on him, wondering why we weren't. Uh, seeing more from him in the G League or whatever. Uh, and so, like, you know, tell me a little bit about the the new center, the replacement center that you got, and, you know, why Brian Bowen never really found his way in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's tough because, you know, Brian was um, – I mean, he's still only 22. It's not like he's old or anything. Um, mm-hmm. But he just hasn't really – like, even in the G League, like, I think he was he was good in the G League bubble – uh, the gobble, as some people are calling it, I'm not really a huge fan of that. But uh, when even when he did come in uh, for Pacers games, like he didn't play a ton. But when he did come in, he didn't really get a whole opportunity to do much of anything. Um, the thing that he was supposed to be great at, you know, coming out of high school and coming out of Louisville was shooting. And he just hasn't been a great shooter. Like he's been fine. I think he shot like 36 or 37 percent from three in the G League. But he was like. I mean, people talked about him as like a generational shooter coming out of uh, coming out of high school. And that just 
hasn't been the case. He's not super athletic. Um, and he just doesn't have a ton of skills that have translated super well yet. I, I mean, I think it's tough because maybe if he got more opportunities with the big club, uh, we would think differently, but it just hasn't worked out for him. Um, but we'll see on that. Like, I, I'm sure he'll get another chance because, like you mentioned, I mean, he was uh, he was like a top five recruit in high school. Like, th- those guys always get more opportunities. And he seems like a great dude and everything, too. I think it came down to as well, like, Cassius Stanley, they're really high on. Um, and it was either going to be Cassius or Brian that got cut to bring in Amita Brima today, who has been with the Mad Ants. Uh, he was with the Mad Ants in the bubble, I believe, or at least he was supposed to be. Um, and he's been with the Mad Ants before. He's played some – I mean, he's been on like the uh, – uh, he, he never makes the final roster for the Pacers, but he's always been right there at the, the last couple of years. So he's been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of just like a stopgap because it, I think it it brings up questions of, okay, maybe they really do think Miles is going to be out for the rest of the season instead of just indefinitely, which indefinitely tends to mean, you know, close to the rest of the season. Long anyways. time, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and with Domas still out to Goga being injured, like, I think they just were like, okay, well, we need to have some kind of safety, safety valve for the rest of the year because we can't play O'Shea Brissett at center. Um, because O'Shea Brissett, who is six foot seven and is really a four had to play against Mo- Moses Brown the other night. Um, and actually out rebounded him, which was kind of impressive. Like he, he fought his ass off, played really good. Um, I'm really excited for O'Shea Brissett actually, because he's, again, he's another young guy. He was really good in the bubble. Like he was probably the best player for the Mad Ants in the bubble. It's really cool to see him get this opportunity to come up and, and play for the Pacers and have his deal guaranteed now, um, at least for the next year. It's the usual shenanigans where it's a three-year deal, but only the first year is guaranteed, which I'm not always like, I don't know. It's ethically just kind of weird to me i don't know like it, and most people probably don't give a shit about that but to me that's yeah. like I don't extremely know. extremely team friendly in a yeah. way that almost feels player unfriendly yeah yeah exactly but, that's the way to yeah. put it yeah and uh but no he's he's interesting like he can do some stuff as like a weak side rim protector he just makes good rotations he's already the best forward on the roster because he's like the only forward on the roster that's not named <laughs> tj warren um so he's the best healthy forward on the roster he can rebound you know i mean he can he's shown the ability to shoot uh he was a shooter in the g league as well uh he survived syracuse so that's like an accomplishment in itself um surviving jim Beheim's system to get to the nba is like uh that's that's very difficult to do so um <laughs> i've been really impressed with him and i i, I think signing him was was awesome I, like as soon as he played um real ish minutes for the team i was like oh yeah this guy he has it like he's already surpassed what jacar sampson can do for the team because he can space the floor he's a little bit more athletic um he's already played more than keelan martin um and unfortunately things just haven't worked out for Keelan. although he did play really well against the thunder um but regardless like he's a guy who i think he's he, he should not be a starter um but you know that's just happening out of necessity but i think he's somebody who with this playing time and the confidence he's getting and the confidence he's getting from the coaching staff. Like, I think uh, he's somebody who should be probably in the 10 or 11 man rotation, or at least be somebody who you can call on and say, you know, okay, this matchup, we really need you. Um, So it, it also does bring up more questions about what the roster is going to look like next year though, because um, you get to a point where it's like, okay, well, even with, with TJ out, they've had, all right, Domas, Malcolm, uh, Karis, Justin holiday, miles uh tj's been out as well um 
TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott, Jeremy Lamb, Aaron Holiday, Edmund Sumner, O'Shea Brissett, Goga Bataze. It's 14 guys. You cannot play 14 guys and you can't pay 14 guys. Um, like, I mean, you can, but you get what I'm saying. Like, you can't pay mm-hmm. that full rotation and not be playing four or five of them every night. So, um, a lot of questions coming up for uh, for the summer for sure. Yeah. When when I think about the the way I would resolve those questions, like uh, like Doug McDermott is going to be a free agent. It's like that's that seems like a luxury if everyone's healthy. Justin Holiday seems like the kind of guy I would be willing to let go in favor of a guy like Edmund Sumner. Not necessarily because I dislike anything that Justin Holiday is about. I actually think Justin Holiday is like a really good role player. And so, but that also makes him valuable to the point where other teams might want him. And so you could get something for him in a trade and, you know, clear up space for Sumner or, or um, you know, another guy that way. So, yeah, I mean, and the other thing that's inter- really interesting is like when you look at the, the Pacer cap sheet, um, you guys have what? You have what? One, two, three, four. You have a bunch of guys who make basically between like 10 and 20 million. And nobody who makes like more than 20 million. And so you have <laughs> yeah. this very even cap sheet. It's like what the the consolidation can come like one of two ways, right? Like you can you can consolidate up and find a way to uh it's like if you're if you're looking for ways to improve the team, you're looking for ways to get like a that 30 million dollar a year player who's worth it. It's like, or you you can go down, you can turn Justin Holiday into two dudes making, you know. $3 million a year instead of one guy making $6 million a year. So it's just like, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of optionality with what the Pacers can do this off season. And I think, again, that's, that remains underrated as people just like, aren't thinking about them very much, which is their mistake. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting, man, because I think about that a lot. Like it's uh, they do have a lot of potential flexibility i would say because like they do have like a lot of the main players are are on on term for a while um but like you look at tj and tj is up for free agency next year so not this upcoming free agency but the free agency after um and the pacers can try and extend him right now but with given the way that his deal worked like they can only offer him like i think it's like 15 million dollars a year which is not going to be enough Mm -hmm. um like i think he's probably a $100 million player right around there. Um, it might be lower because of injuries. Um, like, I mean, this is a, it's on a, the different foot, but he had, um, he had the stress fracture in his left. No, it's in, it's in his left foot right now. He had stress fracture in his right foot when he was in Phoenix. Um, so that, I, I don't know how much that will play into it, but like just given he's six foot eight, he plays that size can guard pretty well. Um, and he can handle the ball and shoot from anywhere like that gets you paid in the NBA. So I think he's probably going to get paid the most out of anybody on the roster. And I'm interested to see how that works out because um, like the, the Pacers are going to have to make a commitment. Like I, I do think like there's no, that, again, this is way far in advance, but I think about it a lot. Like they uh, if they don't make a commitment to TJ, well then like, what are you doing? Because if you're not going to pay a guy, like that's the guy everyone's trying to get, not saying that, you know, it's, it's reductive. Like there's a lot more to basketball than that, but like that TJ Warren is the guy that you try and draft or, or, or that you're trying to get in the draft. Not that he's a quote unquote, like number one option, but he's awesome. Like he is really good. He's the first player who's been able to do what he does since Paul George in Indiana. 
like Bojan Bogdanovic was nice, but his uh, his defense was definitely overrated because of a couple of clips in in the Cavs series. Um, so I don't know. There is a lot of optionality and flexibility, but it's uh, like you mentioned, there is like a you can see just looking at a cap sheet like, OK, there has to be some kind of move around here somewhere. Yeah. Every team in the NBA is looking for a 27 year old guy who's six foot eight and can score at all three levels and can dribble the ball like without falling over. Like every NBA team could use that guy. And so like, yeah, that absolutely makes him a a hundred million dollar player. I think about, you know, I think about Jeremy Grant and how much like he got paid this off season and how that was viewed initially and how it's viewed now. Right. It's looking kind of like a steal that Jeremy Grant Mm -hmm. only makes, you know, $19 million a year instead of like 25 or 27. And so, like, we, you think about uh, TJ, like, TJ is going to make, you know, in that neighborhood. He's going to make in that, like, $23, $24 million neighborhood. And that pretty easily gets you to a $100 million guy uh, if you sign him for any length of time. If you sign him for the rest of his prime, essentially, like, you're, you're committing to him uh, in that way. And so, like, yeah, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have Brogdon, you'll have Levert, you'll have TJ, and then you'll have, you know, Domas and Miles. It's like, uh, that... Is a that seems like a really good team that's got a lot of length, uh, a lot of a lot of skill. Um, you know, Miles is uh, as if he returns as good as he was defensively, like that seems like a team that could be like a, a top ten offense and a top ten defense. And it's like that that makes you a, that makes you like a really good team. Like I don't know what I don't know what like quite puts you like in that upper echelon. Like maybe it's. Uh, again, like a, another bump in play from TJ Warren or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's a really interesting place to be uh, for a team. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's hard too because uh, I do think uh, just given the way that this season has gone, um, they're not going to have both bigs on the roster for next year. That's just my assumption um, and speculation. Uh, but it's it's gotten to the point where I just think it's it's not that they're bad together. Like, I do think that they're credible together at times. What it just makes the rest of the roster make less sense in some mm-hmm. regards. Um, I don't know. And especially, too, it makes it so much murkier with Miles getting injured. And I just feel so bad for the guy, too, because he's having an awesome year. Uh, like, he might not even make all defense now, which sucks because, like, he has been just about defensive player of the year it, other than Rudy Gobert and um, – I mean, Clint Capella has just been so freaking good. I don't know where you're at with defensive player of the year, but Clint Capella would probably be like three or four for me right now. And he, him or Ben Simmons is going to climb up there and, and whoever passes him at center is taking over second team all defense. So I don't know, man. We'll see on that. Um, yeah, we, we need another all defense team. There needs I to agree. Be, there, there's, there's three all NBA teams. There should be three all defense teams. Exactly. It's never really made sense to me why there's only one all, well, I mean, two all defense teams compared to three all NBA, but, you know, they didn't ask me. Um, so in terms of what you're looking for in the game tomorrow, uh, what are you? What, what's what's any like maybe one matchup that you're you're hoping to see play out, or, or one thing that you're really looking forward to? I'm I'm looking forward to Killian Hayes versus Malcolm Brogdon. I don't know if Killian will start. Um, there have been times like if, if all the veterans play, the team will start Corey Joseph um, and let him come off the bench. Ultimate and, stealth and, tank commander. He's actually been really good in Detroit too, which is like kind of he's, wild. He's been me. productive. I would yeah, say, I, I wouldn't good. say really he's good, but pretty- like the counting stats wise. And he yeah. like, he's a ultimate fake defense guy too. Um, if he were six foot four, he'd probably be a good defender, but like <laughs> at this stage of his career, 
with his size, he is he is not a good defender. Yeah, exactly. And so I will be I'll be looking forward to you know Killian Hayes versus like the ghost of true Christmas future Killian Hayes and in <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon, just two two crafty dudes uh, going up against each other, similar sizes. Brogdon's probably going to teach him a couple of things um, that he might not really want to learn right now, but that that's neither here nor there. Um, but just that that matchup will be really intriguing to me. What what will you be looking at, Mark? What will I be looking at? Um, gosh. Well, first of all, is there a center that plays tomorrow? Um, I mean, Mason Plumlee's still out, right? Uh, Mason will probably be back. He, oh, okay, yeah. They, when when they rest the vets, they rest, they rest okay. Mason. All right. Yeah, I was just checking. Um, yeah. Well, because I mean that makes a big difference because Mason is good enough. If you don't play a center, you're gonna get your your butt whooped. Um, I mean, I hope Goga's back because it's been it was cool seeing him play. Like, I think he had like, um. He had like 10 points, five or six boards and four blocks in like the four. I mean, in, in the 10 minutes that he did play uh, against the Spurs before going down like that was so like, again, it's uh some of it's I don't want to say empty, but like you have to take more than just numbers at face value. But um, you can see the, the development there. Um, I think, gosh, I'm not trying to cop out. I mean, I kind of really would like to see. uh how this team looks against some of the more athletic guys on the roster. Cause they do struggle to, to, to guard athletic wings. Maybe they can be the team that um, gives Josh Jackson a really tough night. Cause Josh da- Jackson cooked them the last game that they played uh, both him and Jeremy played pretty well in that second game. So um, I'll be looking to see how they try and stop them on the wings and just having some semblance of defense that's improved. Um, and then the last thing I'd say too, is Karis having another good game because Karis's game against Detroit uh, when they played, just after the all-star break was probably just about his best game of the year on both ends. So I, uh, I'm looking for that again, too. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it's a, are they playing at home? Are they playing in Indianapolis? I think it's in Indianapolis. Cause wasn't it, a, it was at Detroit last time. I think. Okay. It was like, I know. Uh, yeah, that's in Karras. Indiana. Okay. It was like, I know Karis is a Michigan guy he wants to show out for his people, but uh, that's not going to matter. Cause it's in, it's in Indianapolis, but That'd be really cool. Also, uh, the undercard, the the O'Shea Brissett, uh, O'Shea Brissett, excuse me, O'Shea Brissett, uh, Isaiah Stewart, just like post matchup where they're both just kind of like just wrangling each other, just two dudes like Greco Roman wrestling in the <laughs> post like that. That'll be pretty fun too. Oh yeah, well Isaiah's gonna win that. I love O'Shea already. He's been great, but I think he's like two fifteen, soaking wet. So. Isaiah will feast on that. And Isaiah, like, he's efficient as a post-up player, too. He doesn't do it a lot, but, like, I mean, he... Yeah, gets gets his deep seal, puts that yeah. uh, puts that shoulder into you, puts up that jump hook, and, uh, yeah, it goes in. He's got it, man. I'm, I'm excited. I love watching this Detroit team play, so it's going to be... It'll be fun. I'm sure we'll have some good interaction on the timeline, too. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here, man? No, nah, man. I'm, I'm grateful for you having me on, as always. Um, it's it's nice to to talk and think about a team that's not gonna finish like fourth in, <laughs> in the con- in the league and like last in the conference. Hey, so. you never know, man. Anything could happen. Like we mentioned, anything could happen over the last sixteen games. Maybe that's, maybe this team just uh, maybe the Pistons hit like a a going to work pace for the, for the rest of the year, and Isaiah Stewart turns into Ben Wallace again. I don't know. Anything's possible. That's true. And on the on the other hand, I've watched like way more Orlando Magic basketball. Oh, they're to fun watch to them. watch, man. Like 
Wendell mm. Carter is like possessed and that's Chumo true. Kiki has been really fun. Although of course I wrote about him and then he's tailed off a little bit efficiency wise since then, but um, they're like, they're, they're just kind of fun. Like they, I think they have eight guys scoring 10 points per game or more uh, since the, since the trade happened, which is, they're, they're, a, they're a good kind of fun where like, yeah. like you said, like Wendell Carter, Wendell Carter busted out like an insane dunk against the Hawks. I was like, wow, like where, where's that guy been? This entire time, and uh, like Cole Anthony has been interesting to watch, and RJ Hampton is a blur up and down the court. Mm-hmm. But then you'll be watching them, and it'll be like, man, it's been like five minutes since they scored. I wonder what's up with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the scoring is not there, and that's kind of the thing that uh, I guess is going to keep coming up <laughs> as they progress, depending on who they get. Like, okay, so I guess I got, I, I have two more questions for you then, if you have time. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. Aren't uh, Aren't to, well, I guess partially Detroit related, but if you had to, uh, if it, if you had to go to one team that is not going to be Detroit, where would you want Cade to go? Oh, no, uh, you, you can't ask me that, man. I want Cade <laughs> in Detroit so bad. I personally, um, I'll be honest, I want I want Cade in Detroit. Cade in Detroit for sure would be would be awesome. I think with what Troy's doing and yeah, I, uh, I feel like we've earned this one. I feel like we've earned this one. Um, okay, you're making you're making me look at the tankathon standards. Okay, I don't want him. I don't want him in Sacramento. That's like the one place I just like really think he'd yeah, be no, just I don't absolutely think be great for him. wasted. I don't really want him in Minnesota. That no seems no. Like I, I think any first overall pick to Minnesota is just I'm I'm not until they get their their shit together. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, yeah. Hashtag free Jarrett Culver, man. Man is lost. Uh, he needs like I, I think like Jared Culver was that was like the worst place for him to go to, just a place that mm-hmm. has like absolutely no structure. But um, yeah, no. Okay, so go on. Uh, actually, so or- Orlando is actually not a bad call for a team that could like really use a-, a Cade Cunningham, who I wouldn't necessarily like feel terrible if that happened. Um, I'm like yeah, that- that's that's about it. it like maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if uh, one of these teams at the bottom of the lottery jumped all the way up, if like a if like a Washington or something jumped, that'd be interesting. Oh, heck no, no way. <laughs> I, I, Washington is like the one team. Like what they've oh, got. No, I I can't I can't get behind Washington. Um, I think I would say uh, I do like Orlando for him. I think Detroit would be like top for me. Um, you know, Orlando would probably be right there too, just because I can picture like fit wise. Um, like he is like the perfect fit in Orlando, and he he would be mm-hmm. in Detroit too. Um, and I, I like I hate saying it. I don't. I'll say automatically the Cavs do not deserve a number one overall pick for a long time, considering what they did uh, with number one overall picks for like a half a decade. Um, but he would fit incredibly well next to Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. That I don't is, know what the hell the rest true. of that roster looks like with him, but. Um, regardless, like that's, you, you think about that. It's like, huh, I kind of like that. Um, like him, Isaac Okoro, uh, Sexton Garland and, and Jared Allen, like you're, you're kind of lacking in size a little bit. Like there's, I mean, I guess you could play Kate at the four, but he's not really a four. I mean, yeah. he can kind of, he's just kind of a Kate. He can do whatever, but yeah. Um, and anytime you put Sexton and Garland on the floor together, you're just going to be lacking in size, but yeah, the, that team would be very, that team would be scary offensively. Mm-hmm. with you know those two guards and Cade in a way that um you know, makes up for the fact that you know they might be a little bit limited defensively 
Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, um, but Kate's coming to Detroit, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, I can promise. All, so many people are listening to me, like Mark. What the hell? Why aren't, why aren't you talking about Kate in Indiana? Because it's not going to happen. So um, I'm not going to say that it's going to happen until if it if it does happen by some mystery chance with the lottery balls, then awesome. But I don't want to hype people up for something that is incredibly unlikely. Um, even for Detroit, like it's not that likely. No, no offense, but it's not that likely that Kate's no, you're, to Detroit. You're like, right. It's just it's so hard to actually like project that stuff happening. Um, so, so I'm staring at the Tankathon odds right now. Right now, the Indiana Pacers have a 1.5 percent chance right. <laughs> at the number one pick. So, yep, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. And then, okay, so last thing I want to ask you too, um, because I've been trying to wrap my head around this team the entire year. Um, I don't know how much you've seen of them, but what do you think about Atlanta? Um, because, like, especially since the trade deadline, like, they've looked really good. I've really enjoyed this Atlanta team. Uh, I still don't love what they did to Lloyd Pierce. I know that there's a lot more to it than that, but mm-hmm. it was just, I don't know, it was a weird situation. Um, it's been cool to see Nate McMillan thrive like this and, and get to coach Um high-level basketball and just show people like hey you know i'm i'm a lot better than a coach who just got released after getting a contract extension um but like i actually do think this team has like a chance in the playoffs but what do you think i have not really watched that much atlanta i know i know they've been good since the all-star break Mm -hmm. i know they've been good since the the coaching change i know they're they're still actually kind of hurt right like reddish they've been banged up yeah hunter hasn't has been out for a couple weeks now since he first came back and then had a setback and yeah so um, so the the fact they're still winning without those two guys is pretty impressive hunter in particular looked really good at the the beginning of the season um but yeah like i I think they're playing a kongu like that's cool i like i like the kongu a lot coming into the year i'm glad he's finally healthy and playing for them but yeah like uh i'm i'm I know they're winning, but I can't say I've watched a ton of their games. Well, you should, man. Clint Capella has been just uh, absurd this year. I, I tweeted this out today. He's averaging in April, so I think it's 11 games. He's averaging 20 and 17 on like 68% true shooting. Whoa. Um, yeah, and he's been like the the only reason their defense even stays afloat is because of how good he's been. And they do have like a lot of like kind of longer wings, but not like a lot of great defensive ones with Hunter and Reddish both being out. Um but they're they're a fun team. I like watching them play. And I know a lot of people don't like Trey. Like I, I guess I kind of get that, but I just I try and look at it like, hey, it's basketball. You know, he's fun. Watching Trey throw lobs to Clint Capella is I, I love watching lobs happen. So it uh, it works for me, man. They're currently yeah. up without Trey or Capella or DeAndre Hunter. Um oh, think, that's right. I did see Trey get hurt, and that yeah, was Trey uh, that, had, that, that, that looked ankle. pretty bad. So I'm glad that they don't seem overly concerned about yeah, uh, it was just that a light, light ankle sprain. I don't know what the exact terminology is, but they're they're up on the on the heat right now, uh, without Trey or uh, or Capella, and the Heat have their full team currently, except for Vic. So the Heat remain an enigma as well. This whole East is just an enigma, but regardless, man. Uh this was a blast. Of course, everyone follow Lazarus at Laz. Is it underscore chance or is it just last chance? I can't remember. Just last chance. L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E on Twitter. And of course, read him over at Detroit Bad Boys. Listen to him over at Detroit Bad Boys and Detroit vs. Everybody as well. Most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.